Louisiana Eats is brought to you with support from Louisiana Fish Fry, a staple of Louisiana kitchens for nearly 40 years. Maker of batters, coatings, boils, tartar sauce, cocktail sauce, and more. Louisiana Fish Fry, because life needs Louisiana flavor. From our studios in the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans, this is Louisiana Eats. I'm Poppy Tooker. What in the world has happened to king cake? For longtime New Orleanians like myself, the explosion of that classic purple, green, and gold ring of pastry goodness is simply astounding. Today, there are countless varieties, both sweet and savory, that make eating king cake a full-fledged pastime. For any local baker, king cake makes or breaks your year. So when Steve Himmelfarb and his wife Becky opened Cake Cafe, they set out to develop their own signature cake, a delicious combo of apple and goat cheese that has outlasted the bakery itself. We catch up with Steve at the New Orleans Center for Creative Arts, where his king cake has become an annual fundraising tradition. Then we conclude our two-part conversation with Matt Haynes, author of The Big Book of King Cake, a definitive king cake Bible. I'm still amazed by all I learned from Matt about a tradition I thought I knew all about. And then we hear from Dominique Rizzo of Celtica Bakery, who specializes in the original version of the French cake, Galette de Roi. And do mermaids eat king cake? Children's book author Sally Asher has a definitive answer for that question. So pour a cup of coffee and prepare for a king cake feast on this week's Louisiana Eats. My name is Steve Himmelfarb. We are here at Press Street Station for Louisiana Eats, looking for some king cake. Steve Himmelfarb is a New Orleanian whose name is practically synonymous with king cake. Longtime listeners may remember our 3 a.m. visit to his beloved bakery, Cake Cafe, in 2014, when we watched him make his famous apple and goat cheese king cakes from start to finish. Or you may have heard our 2021 interview with Steve and his wife Becky soon after they closed Cake Cafe after 13 years in business. Last year, Louisiana Eats expanded our ranks when Steve came on as the newest member of our production team. When he agreed to work for us, it came with two caveats. One, the show can't interfere with his current job at the New Orleans Center for Creative Arts. And two, from December 15th through Mardi Gras Day, Steve is completely unavailable. Why? because he's busy making those king cakes. We caught up with Steve hard at work at Press Street Station on NOCA's campus. 
Once upon a time, you had a very wonderful place in the Marigny called Cake Cafe. And that was where your apple and goat cheese king cake came to great, great fame. How did that king cake happen in the first place? Well, when I opened the cafe as a bakery and a cafe, the most important thing that I thought that a bakery needed was a calling card. And the calling card for a bakery in New Orleans is a king cake. You know, once you establish yourself with a king cake, then people begin to know your name, they begin to know who you are, they begin to come in more often just after Mardi Gras. So it was really important to me to have that calling card. And the other thing that was really important to me is to have artisan king cake with fresh fruit in it, something that had never been done, and to make it so unique that it was a piece of art. Tell me about your very earliest days with King Cake. Some people may know me as the Cake Man. Right. I had been in the recording business from the time I was 17 working professionally and, and lived in recording studios till the time I was 30. And I really accomplished a lot. I owned a very big recording studio here in New Orleans. And, you know, it was just time to take a step back I sold the studio, I took some time off, and I really wanted to, uh, I always loved cooking, and I had some friends here that you love to cook, you're in New Orleans, why don't you start baking? Like, I, it was suggested to me by some very good friends. So, I would bake five cakes a day, cut them in 12 slices, put them on plates, go door to door, one place at a time, all over the city, selling slices of cake. What I neighborhoods went, were you in, Steve? I went from Slidell, the French Quarter, to Laplace. And oh. everywhere in between for a number of years. And during that time, I started to develop a king cake. I didn't sell a king cake during that time, but I came up with the recipe. So this is going on 30 years ago. Oh, my gosh. It's the same, it's the same recipe. It's the same concept, but it's the same dough recipe. And I will tell you that in my junior high, they served these cinnamon rolls at my junior high that was, they were incredible in the morning. I was like, what the heck are these cinnamon rolls, you know, as a kid? So when I developed a cinnamon roll recipe, the sweet dough recipe that we use, I wanted it to remind me of those cinnamon rolls in junior high. So that's what my cinnamon rolls and this sweet dough is based on in my mind. It has just really tickled me watching king cake become a flavor instead of a thing. I think it, it captures the imagination. You know, I think that it captures the imagination from the standpoint of when someone sees king cake, they have such good memories. Like, no matter what, it's like you when you have king cake, it is a celebratory time. So just that visceral hearing the word king cake, you're like, I'm in it. Yeah. I'm on it. So, Steve, you know, you sold the cake cafe. You left that life behind. Here you are right back in the king cake game again. What keeps you at it? I'm inspired by the Randazzos. I'm not, no lie, man. I'm like, awesome. Y'all are baking king cakes. It's like four months out of the year. It's about a four month out of year job. You know, when, you, when it comes down to it, by, from the time you start to the time you finish. And... When I started seeing many years ago that king cakes are big business, 
and very big business. It's worth doing that for four months out of the year, and it gives Becky and I the chance to do other things we want to do. How did this partnership with NOCA come to be? The partnership with NOCA is very organic. Um, it started maybe eight years ago. I would have uh, interns at the cafe and hired a couple kids from NOCA to work on the weekends, uh, to work in the kitchen and to help with king cakes. I am an instructor at NOCA. Uh, I also teach in the culinary department. And so I've known Chef Dana. Uh, we've worked together for, you know, eight years. And it was just a natural progression of when I sold the cafe, we decided, hey, why don't we do king cakes here at NOCA? And we worked toward that. Uh, we've been doing king cakes in conjunction with the culinary department for this is our third year. Are, are, do the students help with the king cakes? The students do help. We give them uh, tasks to do. Uh, they cut all the apples. They come in in the afternoon and help us whatever we need to have done. And on the weekends, it's a great weekend job for them. They get paid for their work uh, after school hours. And it's a great job for them to put on their resume. When you're not making king cakes at NOCA, tell me about what you do here in the culinary program, Steve. Basically, I help the culinary teachers. Chef Dana does a great job. Chef Jesse, Chef Camille, they are really great teachers. And I pretty much just support them in whatever they need to have done. Uh, if one of them needs a day off, then I will take over a class for them. But what I'll really do is just really support them, uh, try and I have the, I'm not a great teacher, okay? <laughs> I'm not like, I don't have the teaching background. Uh -huh. But what I do have is the experience to be able to sit down with a, a student and be able to go with them one-on-one -on -one and be like, work on this, try and do this a little bit differently. This is going to be a little bit easier for you to do. I can do more one-on-one -on -one kind of instruction with them and uh, while they're working on their projects. Describe for us, if you would, what your life is like during King Cake time. Well, what happens is, uh, now we've, we've really got a great team of people and we've been doing it a number of years now. Uh, some of us as many as 10 and with Becky 14 years uh, we've been working. So we do have a very good idea of what we want to do and how we want to do it and have a streamlined it as much as possible. So that is really important. Um, but right now I get here about 6.30 in the morning and we finish about four in the afternoon, do about 100 king cakes to 150 king cakes a day. You must have some regular customers who just believe it's not Mardi Gras unless they've got one of your king cakes in hand. Well, one of the things that's so special and one of the things that we miss about the cafe is we miss the people and those people show up, you know, every year when we're doing king cakes, they showed up on the sixth. Good, they've become good friends. We've seen their families grow. We've seen everything, you know, we've gotten to know each other as just really good friends. I'm an uncle to like 10 kids. You know, so we we find it very special, the connection we have with the community. Steve, 
At, at Cake Cafe, of course, it was that goat cheese and apple king cake that really put you on the map. Here at Noka, you are also doing uh, raspberry cream cheese and another very unique sort of a cake. Tell us about the other alternatives. I came up with, after years of planning, uh, the, uh, the gluten-free, dairy-free, cinnamon sugar king cake. I love the way it looks because different from a traditional king cake with the purple, green, and gold on top, your gluten-free, dairy-free king cake is purple, green, and gold in and of itself. Yeah, we layered the colors so you'll see purple with gold sparkle on top of it. And then uh, there's yellow and green. So when you cut into it, it's a, you see the slice and it's all layered in colors. And what have people had to say about that? Everyone seems to be happy with it. If you're eating gluten-free, dairy-free, I think it captures what someone's looking for. So when it comes to the scope of your production, how have things changed over the years? So when we started, we were doing probably 20 king cakes a day. You know, that was 14 years ago, 15 years ago at the beginning of the cafe. Uh, just trying to keep up with that. And we thought, oh, this is great. 20 king cakes a day is awesome. And, uh, you know, and as it caught on in popularity, and, you know, we're now up to between 100 and 150 a day. And that's, we did like 175 on, you know, King's Day. Uh, so that's, we try and land at that 100 mark. The goal is to do 100 a day. And we end up, that's a pretty good average for us. So I'm terrible with math, but... How many king cakes do you make seasonally on average? We'll come close to 4,000. And so at the cafe, or we would do about 2,000, but being able to add shipping, able to add King Cake Hub, and the retail here, and working with NOCA, we're, we're hitting close to 4,000. When you were going door to door and playing with your king cake recipe, could you ever imagine that we'd be sitting here 4,000 king cakes a year later? There's no way. <laughs> I was in my kitchen. I was in my kitchen, you know, trying to make two. And, uh, you know, so there, there's no way. It's just really been a development. And you kind of have a vision each step of the way. And you go, oh, this could work. This will work next. This could happen. I never expected to have a restaurant, much less you know take it to this level it just kept growing and i'm very grateful for it i don't take it for granted for a second life is just full of surprises and full of fun you just need to buckle your seat belt and hold on to see what's coming next that is very true <laughs> that is very true it's an adventure life is an adventure and man oh man what surprises are around the corner and you just take them as they come Steve, thank you so much for welcoming us here at Press Street Station and giving us this intimate back look at one of the most yummy king cakes to be found in New Orleans. Thank you. Well, thank you, Poppy, and thank you to Louisiana Eats. Steve Himmelfarb speaking with Louisiana Eats on NOCA's campus in New Orleans.
Coming up next, we learn about some innovative bakers who have changed the king cake game here in the Bayou State. Louisiana Eats returns after the break. Poppy Tooker, and you're listening to Louisiana Eats, edible content for Louisiana food lovers. Louisiana Eats is brought to you with major support from Crystal Hot Sauce, now celebrating 100 years of hot sauce deliciousness. Always made with just three simple ingredients, aged red cayenne peppers, distilled white vinegar, and salt nothing artificial. Crystal Hot Sauce, how New Orleans does flavor. From Rouse's Markets, synonymous with seafood straight from Louisiana's waterways, Rouse's Markets tastes like home. And from Camellia Brand, beans done right, a New Orleans tradition since 1923 now celebrating their centennial by donating one million bowls of beans to Second Harvest Food Bank. What a way to say thank you to the community they call home. If you tuned in to Louisiana Eats last week, you heard the first part of our two-part conversation with Matt Haynes, the author of The Big Book of King Cake, the definitive Bible on the sweet carnival tradition. Matt spoke with us about how he came to write his new book and how he traced the origins of king cake back into Europe's past. This week, we delve into the most recent history of the king cake, for most of the 20th century, it was a simple brioche-style pastry, the kind you could buy at McKenzie's Bakery chain from the 1930s until 2000. Today, there are countless varieties of styles to choose from. Matt gave us insight into this king cake evolution and the Louisiana bakers behind each innovation. Matt, now that you have been so immersed for so long in king cake, mm -hmm. who do you believe filled the first king cake? Filled the first king cake? Okay. Yeah. It's a tricky question. And so, okay, I, I'll start by saying it's going to be a cop-out, but I'll start by saying <clears throat> nobody can know for sure. But a lot of signs seem to point to maybe Cart what's now Cartoza's Bakery. Um, they had a different bakery at the time, but it's uh, Aunt, uh, Angelo Cartoza. Um, he says that he first did it in, I think, 1982 or 83. Mm -hmm. But when I was talking to Nana Randazzo's, um, they were trying to figure it out, and they said they had family members who were putting cream cheese in king cake in the 1970s. So I haven't seen that myself, but I, I think that's the way that they remember it, at least. So, you know, who knows for sure. I think what we know for sure is that sometime around that time, probably early 80s, potentially late 70s, is when king cake started to be filled with things other than just uh, cinnamon. So 
What's unique about the high dough bakery? There are bakeries now that make cakes that are a nod back to um, to McKenzie's. You know, and so a McKenzie's king cake would have no icing and would have just the three colors of sugar, and that's really it. Now, high dough is probably the closest thing to that. That's the king cake they normally make. They said they did it because to them, like their taste, you know, it's a Vietnamese family who owns the bakery and their story is so interesting. I don't want to say it's a similar story to Dong Phong, but there are some similarities where they both, after the Vietnam War, both uh, patriarchs of the families had fought in the war and decided it'd be safer if they left. And so they both found themselves in New Orleans. In the case of Haido Bakery, the father made it to New Orleans and the family was still in Vietnam and he was able to save enough money and get sponsorship for them to come over here. And then, you know, by the time they got over there, here, their dad had already started this bakery that they were able to help out with. And, and in Terrytown, where they exist, they're such a staple there. Um, it's amazing to walk in there on a morning and see, like, so many people line out the door, it seems like, every day. That's so exciting. It just and it's so wonderful to see good hard work and folks make good. Yeah, and I think that's um, I think that's a big part of um, the king cake story today in New Orleans. It's like if you look at Norma's Sweets Bakery, why do we have a guava cream cheese king cake? It's because um, Hondurans came to New Orleans and guava and cream cheese was something that Latin American countries tend to have in their pastries. And so when you're trying, they've been here for several generations. Why not start a king cake? We've got a bakery. And so let's do one that fits our tastes. Well, you took us out of town to all sorts of places. Um, I'd never heard of Ricky Mesh's Donut King in Lafayette. Yeah, it's one of my favorites. I, I think that uh, there'll be a lot of people who would try that and say that is not a traditional king cake. That can't be called king cake. How come? Um, I think that because the dough is so much like a donut, uh, which I think is delicious, um, you know, but also, hey, listen, it's got the shape of a king cake. It's got these beautiful, vibrant colors of a king cake. Um, they do fillings like a king cake. So, you know, why not? And uh, it's it's messy, but it's delicious. There seems to be a common denominator in donut shops like Joe's Cafe. Like mm -hmm. there's a lot of king cakes to be found in donut shops, huh? Yeah, I think so. I think, I mean, I guess at this point, why wouldn't you? Because they're such a, uh, you know, they're going to be such a boon to your business. There are a lot of places that say that fillings to king cakes began because donut shops were basically, hey, let's just take fillings that you'll find in donuts or danishes. So it's mm. also a pretty good translation from one to the other, I think. I was fascinated that, again, a donut shop, Little Jay's Donuts and More, mm -hmm. and their colored dough. Nobody's ever thought of that before, and that's a brilliant idea. Yeah, and it's so beautiful to look at, and he keeps laughing. He's saying, like, for this is this draws people in. He's like, they cannot get enough of this colored dough. Um, and his story is also so interesting. He's got this donut shop in, in Harahan, and, uh, which is where he grew up. And uh, he was, had worked for a bunch of other donut shops for decades and was having a kid and was like, you know, I want to have something that I could, he's kind of a partier, he said. And, but now when he's having a kid, he wanted to have something that he could pass down to his, his child. And so he thought, okay, maybe I should stop working for other people. Maybe I should take my own recipe and I should create my own donut shop. And he worked really hard with Jefferson Parish to get loans uh, to be able to open a shop. And it is like, it seemed very popular. I, when I went there, they were the same. He's like, oh, these 10 people are here every single morning, uh, just hanging out, eating donuts. And uh, his dad works there. He's there. His son's often there. It's, they're all got J's. He says, one day I hope that my son's going to have a kid. Maybe he'll name him some J name and then it'll just get passed down that way. That is just adorable. Um, continuously, I would turn the page 
and I would be surprised by something else I saw in one of your beautiful pictures or read. And w- one of them, um, the Whitaker effect. Mm-hmm. It's a food truck. And they fry their king cakes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for the Whitakers, it's a family. It's their last name is the Whitakers. And uh, uh, the daughter, April, she lives in Dallas right now. But her mom during the pandemic decided, hey, people are having a tough time. Kind of restaurants are closed. Where are they getting their food right now? Maybe they don't cook for themselves. I'm going to try to do that. And so at first, the mom was uh, uh, going from uh place to place, uh, just delivering food. And then she realized, oh, well, we've got some of this pandemic money. Let's buy a, a, a truck and try to invest that way. And so they started their own food truck. And it's a family of entrepreneurs. Uh, the mother, Karen, she's called the queen of soul food, I think. And then you've got the daughter, uh, April, who uh, is a baker. And she's got another daughter who is uh, makes cocktails. And so they all decided to work together on this food truck. And come carnival season, April brings her king cakes in. And uh, yeah, it's a hit. Well, right along with the controversy of who really filled the first king cake. Mm-hmm. So who really invented the boudin king cake? OK, so it's a tricky story. And uh, I, I mean, I spent a long time talking to uh, Twins uh, Burgers and Sweets in Lafayette, and everything I can find points to them. They're a bakery slash burger shop in Lafayette, Louisiana. It's twins, uh, these two twins, and uh, they have their own sweet king cake. Okay, now, independent of them, there is uh, University of Lafayette, Louisiana. Uh The University of Louisiana Lafayette is right down the street, and so there's a history professor there. Um, who goes by, uh, I think he's sometimes called Dr. Boudin. He's got a, a whole Boudin site. He is, uh, 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 puts Boudin recipes on his blog regularly, has a huge following, and one day he created this idea for a Boudin king cake with cracklins on top. And uh, he said that, um, he was like, oh, here's the recipe. In, you know, Use it if you want, enjoy. And then very quickly people are like, how can I get one of these? He thought it was going to be like just a few of them. He went on the local news. They asked him the same question. He's like, well, just ask me. I'll make you a few. No big deal. Very quickly, instead of 10, it was thousands of people wanting this king cake, and he started to panic. And he even told the story of uh, one woman in Los Angeles saw it and was like, I need five of them. How much? And he, at this point, was so overwhelmed. He's like, listen, I can't make all these. Like, it's going to end up costing you, like, thousands of dollars. And she was like, that is such a ripoff. Okay, can you get them to me? He's like, well, you're going to pay thousands of dollars for each of these? And so he realized this is not sustainable, and he did not want to do this. And so he walked over down the street to Twins Burgers and Sweets and asked them if they wanted to do it. And they at first were like, oh, who is this crazy guy talking? We've got our own king cakes to deal with. And he convinced them, listen, let just make one batch, see how it goes. And so they did. I think maybe they had a couple of dozen, and they went immediately. And so then they made some more, and they could not make enough. They ended up in like a few, like a couple of weeks making thousands, and they were all sold immediately. It's a delicious idea. It is so good. Yeah. And, and it is so good. What are you looking forward to the most this king cake season? I think um, every year. There are new king cakes um, and new bakers who are making new king cakes. So I'm excited to see the new king cakes people make and see the new bakeries that are making king cakes. Uh, and I'm excited just to, I think uh, every year people, New Orleanians seem to get more and more excited about these traditions that stretch back thousands and thousands of years. And I think that's so amazing. And so talking to people about that, I think is going to be a lot of fun. Matt, thank you so much for the book and for bringing these great tales to us. It was very much my pleasure, and thank you for having me on the show to talk about it.
That was author Matt Haynes. Since debuting the Big Book of King Cake last year, Matt has a new book. The Little Book of King Cake is designed for younger readers who follow the story of a third grader named Miley who has to choose a king cake to bring to school. Goodness knows, with hundreds of varieties to choose from these days, that's a daunting task. The entertaining new children's book clearly illustrates why king cake is so important. You can find what Matt's up to by checking his Instagram or visiting him online at matthaineswrites.com. What is a galette de roi, and how do you make one? Stay tuned, and we'll answer that question when we come right back. Poppy Tooker, and you're listening to Louisiana Eats, edible content for Louisiana food lovers. Louisiana Eats is brought to you with support from Louisiana Fish Fry, now doing for chicken what they've always done for fish. Fried chicken tenders, wings, sandwiches, and more. Louisiana Fish Fry has you covered with a mix specially for chicken. Louisiana Fish Fry, because life needs Louisiana flavor. And from the St. Tammany Parish Tourist Commission, located 40 minutes north of New Orleans French Quarter along the shores of Lake Pontchartrain. The delicious Tammany taste culinary scene and abundance of soft adventure attractions are among the many reasons to love the North Shore's charming communities. Winter on the North Shore brings king cake flavored must-haves and Mardi Gras festivities. Find details on upcoming events, itinerary suggestions, and more at louisiananorthshore.com. Here's this week's culinary quiz question. Brought to you with support from Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen. What is a galette de roi, and how do you make one? Well, to begin, de roi translates from the French as of the king. Galette is a bit more complicated. Galette is typically described as a flat, round tart, much like a free-form pie. The crust ranges from a short pie crust to a yeast dough or even an unleavened dough, creating a very rustic-style open-faced tart. But the galette de roi is an entirely different affair. Beautiful, buttery, flaky puff pastry is used to make the French king cake, which is usually filled with almond paste or frangipani and fully enclosed with concentric swirls decoratively cut into the top. 
You can make your own, thanks to the wide availability of grocery store frozen puff pastry. But trust me, you've never lived until you taste the Galette du Roi Dominique Rizzo makes at his bakery, Celtica. Now let's meet the man who makes all that deliciousness possible. Hello, I'm Dominique Rizzo. I'm a chef owner of Celtica French Bakery in Lakeview. Dominique Rizzo is an absolute magician in the bakery. The French-born chef has been a presence in New Orleans for decades, first with his bakery in Uptown called La Boulangerie, and now with Celtica in Lakeview. Using only French butter, Dominique creates some of the most delicious pastry I've ever tasted on this side of the Atlantic. I must confess to having a serious issue with his opera cake. I'm obsessed with it. (sighs) Now I'm sure you'll beat me to the last piece at the bakery, and that's probably a good thing. Dominique and I sat down in the studio for a freewheeling conversation covering everything from his deep love of baking, the importance of its traditions, and of course, king cake. Dominique, tell me about how you first came to be a baker. Where are you from, and what are you doing here in New Orleans? Oh, it's been it's been a long story to start. You know, yeah, uh, it's come from my childhood. As a child, we go home, we have no snack. There's no cookies and no orange juice. So what you have to do is bake your own oh. pastry. And my mom always has flour, eggs, butter, milk, cooking book. So we love the cooking book. We look what we can make for snack. And we make our snack. That's how it starts. So then you went to cooking school. Yeah, so at 15 years old, I went to cooking school because I, I want to make money. I want, I want, I want to be... Successful. So I went to cooking school at 15 years old for cooking to be a chef. And after I was 17, I got my diploma. I was too young to be in the, on the field. You know, in France, you have to be 18 to get full salary. Ah. So I went pastry chef and chef for in three years, two diplomas. Yeah. What year do you come to New Orleans? Ah, uh, we come in 99. In 1999. Yeah, end of 99. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you look around New Orleans and you say, there isn't a bakery here. Though there was, but, you know, it was like missing something, you know. Baking is tough. Huh? Bakery is tough job. Yeah. To find people baking in the morning, you know, the process every day, every day, every day, every day, every day, you know, bread. You know, you're you, you, you working with a life, you know, bread is alive, croissant is alive, this bacteria is alive. So you have to be careful. You cannot, like, just wait, leave a steak in the cooler for, you know, for an hour. It doesn't work like that. You have to be, it's big timing, you know. Tell me a little bit about what the baguette means to you, and I'd like to hear your baguette philosophy because I think you've got some. The baguette in France for us is like is like the daily, daily donut. <laughs> I will say, you know, we need to get a baguette for lunch, dinner, no matter what, and for snack. So, as a child, we just bakeries like every day. It's a, it's a routine, you know. You go for the morning, you go in the afternoon, you know. Get, my dad sent me to get a baguette. I get two baguettes from, you know, from the 4 p.m. baking, you know. So fresh, so hot. 
I came home, there's only one left because I had the whole baguette on my way. <laughs> <laughs> Go back to the bakery, get more, more baguette. <laughs> oh, the bread is like, it's like, my God, it's like God. Yeah, <laughs> it's to be everything. On, oh, it has to be on the table. So, you know, grow up like that, you just, yeah, you, have, you respect the bread, you know, you respect the bread. I think that you are actually the person who introduced the true French king cake to New Orleans. Am I correct? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think so. No one else was making them mm. before you, huh? You need to bring people to try new things, you know? Because, like you say, if you have croissant, people eat donuts every day. You, you bring them croissant, they get croissant. They're going to change their mind, you know? Because, you know, it's good. It's less sweet. And, you know, so for me to bring the French cake, for me, it was less sweet and more... I'm more like in flavor of food, you know? I like, I like when you eat croissant, you taste the butter, you know? You need a coffee, you drink the... You know, you don't taste the milk, you want drink coffee, you know, just everything you eat, they have to be the right flavor. So for me, the king cake, we put marzipan, you know, cream. So with yes. almond flour, butter, sugar, eggs, pastry cream, rum. So all these ingredients together. It's you know. very simple. Yeah, it's it is so simple, beautiful. but it's just the rum puts the almond flavor out. So it's like, it's very good. In it's France, a- we do we do king cake season, you know, we have king cake season too, but it's only... It's only for, for one day. Well, they start after Christmas until the, you know, the 12th night, but you just take 12 days, that's it. You know, it's a six, generally it's a six, it's a, it's a big, big day, but. So you eat king cake, or you all get to eat your king cake early. But me, I, <laughs> uh, I was born on January 7th, so my yeah. birthday cake was king cake. So I love king cake, so awesome. It was not my, my birthday cake. <laughs> I talked to my sous chef the other day, I said, oh, you know what? I always like try to fix almond cream better because Almond cream because I never find the the right flavor I get from a kid. You know, I don't know what it is. So I change different rum. I try, you know, try to uh, add more almond flour. You know, try to adjust the recipe. To, to, Have you got you know. it now? No, yeah, I'm I'm close. Isn't I'm, it yeah. funny chasing a taste memory from yeah, childhood? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what you get. That's what you get from you. Yeah. So so every year I I try king cake. I said, ah, oh, what I can do? Something. It's almost there. I get there. <laughs> I get there. And now you make it year-round, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah year-round, yeah. Because it's perfect. Because It's yeah. a perfect, delicious dessert. Yeah, that was my, my, my girlfriend's idea to say, they do around year-round. Why only one? Yeah, we are. So you just, they, the king cakes must be flying out of Oh, yeah, more. we can keep up. I can keep up. I don't know. We cannot produce more than we can. We cannot. That's, that's the way it is, you know? Yeah, the bakery we, the can kitchen, The kitchen is, is tiny. We make bread. We have all these make croissant, all this process we have to respect, you know, and sandwiches and all this quiche. And we only five people in the kitchen. That's all that fits. Yeah, it's just, you know, but I do, I'm here all the time, so I help a lot, but, you know, I need to find more people so I can, yeah, let, let go a little bit because I want to, you know, more be with the customer too, you know. I would like to talk to the customer and, and bring more, you know, creativity and, you know, our job, you have to love it. You have to love to bake, you have to love to cook, you have to love to make cakes. It's love, it's not like, you know, just for, for fun. That was Dominique Rizzo of Celtica French Bakery in Lakeview.
Hi, my name is Sally Asher, and I am the writer of The Mermaids of New Orleans. I'm Melissa Vandiver, and I illustrated The Mermaids of New Orleans. Carnival season is a time when we all get to suspend our disbelief and have some fun. In 2019, author Sally Asher and illustrator Melissa Vandiver visited our studio to introduce us to some magical aquatic humanoids who come ashore every Mardi Gras day. That's right, mermaids are very real, and if you're perceptive enough, you may just spot one on the street come Fat Tuesday. Sally began by describing how she first happened upon the mermaid community of New Orleans. A couple years ago, I learned about the underwater mermaid culture that happened in New Orleans. And as I was thinking about it, I realized just as people are different from all over the cities they live, and each city has different food and culture and traditions, if they're lucky, why wouldn't the mermaids do the same? All mermaids aren't alike. Tell me about those mermaids in the Mississippi River. Well, the ones that I wrote about in the Mississippi River prefer New Orleans over all the other ports and cities, and that's where they want to be because of the music, which is bass band music. They dance to the music of their local bass bands. Who else? Who else do they love on land? Well, they love Big Frida. (laughs) They love Big Frida. They have a lot of local icons that they love and admire, uh, such as Chris Owens and... Peggy Scott Laborde, and Margaret Orr, and Leah Chase, and of course, Poppy Tooker. Oh my goodness. Well, I have to say, Sally Asher, this was one of the greatest honors of my entire life. Sally, you made me and my buddy Leah Chase into mermaids. Tell everybody about my personal appearance in the book. Well, mermaids live in trident houses, which are designed if you throw a trident from one end of the house to the other, none of the prongs break, much like shotgun houses. And Leah Chase and Poppy Tooker are hanging out on the front stoop, just chatting as the neighbors go by. The mermaids swim by, they decorate, the children mermaids playing in the street, just hanging out with your friend, enjoying the afternoon. How do mermaids come on land? Well, all mermaids across the world are typically allowed on land one day a year. And so New Orleans mermaids, of course, choose the best day of the year, which is Mardi Gras Day. But in some ways, it'd be much harder to pick them out of the crowd because of all the sparkles and the costume and the glitter. Absolutely. But mermaids fit in very, very well and enjoy all the festivities of the day. All right. At this point, I just have to say, we have woven a fantastical tale But I cannot imagine having someone hand me this story and say, draw me a picture of this. Melissa, how in the world did you do this? Well, I really wanted to. So so I was really excited. So that helped. When Sally and I first talked about it, I was like on a high for like two days. Like, I really want I really want to do this. But I've just been drawing and painting my whole life. So somebody telling me, draw this, paint this, is is just normal for me. And then somebody telling me, draw this or paint this very quickly by when I need it, how I want it, is also something I'm used to. So, Well, but Melissa, I don't know. Have, have you had much experience with portraiture in the past? Because that seems to be an extra challenge. 
Um, that definitely is a challenge. If I was just making generic mermaids, that would be one thing. But almost every single face <laughs> you see in the book is a real person who exists. <laughs> if you were watching me paint, you can see me having pictures of people on my phone while I'm sitting there doing their little faces. Um, but I've been doing human portraits my whole life. It's my first love. And I don't get enough of a chance to do them that often. People don't buy portraits like they did in the old days before photographs. So it was kind of exciting to actually get back into humans because normally I'm painting people's pets. One of the fabulous things about the book are the itsy-bitsy, crazy little details that Sally made you paint into these pictures. Now, what were some of her craziest details? Um, I think some of the ones that I viewed as the craziest um, and I mean this with lots of love, are the like names of cookbooks in the background of a scene. <laughs> I had to paint those with brushes that I reserved to paint nail art on my fingernails because they were so small. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, but if Melissa could do it, she did it, and she did a great job. She did. And when you go out, your, your mermaid get-up is pretty serious. Melissa and I go all the way. When we do when we do signings, we go as mermaids. You also offer to help turn little kids into mermaids on the spot. I was touching up my glitter when I saw a little girl longingly look at my glitter. Oh. And I said, would you like me? Is it okay with your parents? Would you like me to, to put some on you? And she said yes. And from then on, I would always have three to four little pots of glitter whenever I do a signing so I can mermaidize any boy, girl, adult that would like to. Also, you've had some reactions from some people in the book. You heard from Big Frida. Yes. My friend Jennifer and I have made it a mission to have everyone who's featured in the mermaid book autograph their picture. And some are a little bit more difficult to obtain than others. And Big Frida was doing a wine signing of her new rosé at uh, a wine store. And so <laughs> Jennifer and I bought a bottle and stood in line. And I don't think I had gotten permission from her representatives. I don't know if she knew anything about it. I don't know if they told her. Uh-huh. And so I was a little nervous. I didn't know if she knew. And Jennifer went up and said, will you sign this? She took the opening hit for me. Will you, will you sign here? And she seemed kind of surprised. And then I said, admit it. Well, I, I, I wrote the book. And she was absolutely thrilled and gave her a copy of it and, and loved it. And then someone on Instagram who does uh, basically takes pictures of her daughter reading the books, different children's books. Oh. Very sweet. And shot this amazing picture of her daughter with her mouth open, similar to the expressions that Melissa and I see at signings, that says, the moment you see Big Frida as a character in your mermaid book. And oh. it, was, it was just, it was lovely. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. And um, I'll be looking for mermaids this Mardi Gras day. Thank you. Thank you. Emerald City. That was Sally Asher and Melissa Vandiver. Their book is called The Mermaids of New Orleans. This fish tale begins where most fish tales end. With a school of food fish. 
playing hooky from school and getting caught. That's it for this week's edition of Louisiana Eats, edible content for Louisiana food lovers. Catch up on previous editions of Louisiana Eats on poppytooker.com, where over a decade of Louisiana Eats is available for pod and webcasting, along with recipes and cooking class videos, too. And don't forget to rate us on your preferred podcast platform. Louisiana Eats is made possible with major support from Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen, Louisiana Fish Fry, Camellia Brand Beans, Crystal Hot Sauce, Rouse's Markets, the St. Tammany Parish Tourist Commission, and from D'Agostino Pasta, handcrafted in Louisiana just as it's been done in Sicily for centuries. Visit D'AgostinoPasta.com to learn more. Support for Louisiana Eats also comes from Gulf Coast Blenders, dry ingredient blends with New Orleans roots. For more than 30 years, Gulf Coast Blenders has produced custom spice and dry blends for restaurant concepts across the country. To learn more, visit gulfcoastblenders.com. Original theme music composed by David Pomerleau and performed by Johnny Sketch and the Dirty Notes. Big thanks to senior producer Joe Schreiner, producers Blake Longlinay and Steve Himmelfarb, and to our business manager and social media maven, Maddie Mulladew. Catch up with us anytime on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, too. Louisiana Eats is a production of Poppy Tooker Broadcasting. (laughs) 